We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Uh, Coming at you Thursday afternoon, it's March 16th, after the Wolves' 104-102 loss to the Boston Celtics on Wednesday evening. Just dropped the Wolves back down to 570 games into the season, 12 games to go. I'm joined by Britt Robson from MinPost today. And Britt, uh, after having had the chance to re-watch last night's game this morning, because we had a little bit. We're recording this a little bit later in the day than we normally do. I, I'm actually excited to talk about it, and not just the rest. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that too. But rewatching the game reminded me that a lot more happened in that game than just the dysfunction of the end of it. That was obviously on the front of the mind of everyone who who watched sure. that game. But I, I do think that is the place to start uh, talking about last night. Is about the role the refs played at the end of the game, but also just in losing control of the game. That is that is my number one thing that bothers me. Kind of the only thing that really bothers me about refs night tonight is when you can tell they've lost control of the game. I thought that happened at the beginning of the third quarter and you kind of felt the trickle-down effect of that the rest of the night, particularly at the, the very end of the game. So you started your column off with that. You even got the official NBA rule book out to, to quote a few times <laughs> in your column. So I'll, I'll let you uh, take the lead on describing what went down uh, late in that game. Well, I mean, first to your point, the their refs can lose control of a game two different ways. It used to be that refs would more often lose control of the game by not being tight enough or bringing up the leash when it was necessary. And, things would get wanton out on the court. Um, More recently, and certainly last night, it was because they overreacted. They began to get much more ticky-tack with their calls, at the same time being more subjective with their calls. I thought it was eminently predictable that the Wolves would get a bevy Fairly ridiculous calls. There was one in particular where uh, Marcus Smart, I think, was called for a foul on Rudy Gobert underneath the basket. Yeah, I haven't looked it over again, but I mean, that that didn't at the time it happened, it didn't look like a foul to me. But anyway, the point being that you can tell when they're 
trying to say, oh, uh, things are getting chippy out here. Let's rein it in. And then they start making calls that are borderline ridiculous uh, in terms of, I mean, smart players who know how to create incidental contact on a drive and then pull up for a fadeaway jumper and exaggerate the fadeaway on the jumper. Uh, things like that that refs usually, good refs anyway, ignore. Um, these guys were ready for calls like that. They wanted calls like that. And that rewards chicanery. That rewards, you know, bullshit uh, strategy. You know, the Chris Paul mindset. <laughs> uh, and consequently, you know, uh, it puts people on edge. And then there was the situation as well where, you know, Jalen Brown took exception to the fact that Rudy Gobert hit him apparently in his mask uh, and went after him. Uh, all he got out of it was a technical foul, uh, but he certainly barked at him strenuously and created the sense that Rudy Gobert was being uh, unfair to the Celtics, like little sly bad things were happening if the refs weren't watching, uh, because nobody really saw what happened to uh, uh, Jalen Brown on that play. And so then you have a situation where Gobert does something and the onus is on the refs to make sure that he doesn't get away with something else and consequently, he gets a flagrant foul on a play that. If well, the, the tech heard... was first, man. I mean, he got the he had the big dunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the tech, kick out right? leg kicked his legs out at uh, Derek White and flexed, and, and he gets the and taunting. It didn't hit anybody. No, it didn't. But then it was, it was literally the very next possession, where the Celtics are going down on offense, right. where he gets a a flagrant foul call, you know, coming over and hitting, and he, and he did have contact. To Tatum's right. head, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, how this stuff is. It is was all... a six-point swing. Yeah. Bottom was... line, between the the tech for the dunk, and then the flagrant, the basket was made during the flagrant. Then he got two shots and the ball. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, it was a six-point game. The final score was two points, <laughs> which we're now finally getting to. The point of my call, the opening of my column was, all that stuff happened. I didn't have room for that shit. You know, I mean, basically, you might as well drill down to the make-or-break calls that decide a game. And the two calls that I thought were particularly egregious in the game um, were the fact that, I, you know, as somebody who saw Flip Saunders wander uh, frequently on the court, and have refs respond to him in different ways when he would approach the midpoint line, the midcourt line. You're not supposed to go over to the other team's side of the court, even when you're out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, because some refs will get on you for it. Some refs will just gently tell you you need to get back. But other refs will tee you up right away. Well, Missoula, in the course of the game... It's in the final seven seconds of play. Grant Williams grabs an offensive rebound, but can't clear himself of it. He's whip, you know, whipping his arms around trying to clear himself of it. Uh, and 
Missoula wants a timeout. But everybody's attention is on this particular part, except for the one guy who, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> Missoula goes from the front of his bench onto the court, past the three-point arc, jumping up and down, screaming. He got to like putting, the elbow. <laughs> and putting the timeout sign over his head. Uh, and finally, a timeout was called. Uh, no, no, no. A timeout wasn't called, actually. No, what happened jump ball was, was a jump ball was called because you can't call a timeout if you don't have possession of the ball. Now, he may argue that at the time he was starting to call for a timeout, yeah. Grant Williams did have possession, which is why he wanted to call timeout. But guess what? If the refs don't see you, that doesn't give you license to cross midcourt. The specific NBA rules state that if you cross midcourt, let alone go on the fucking court, let alone go inside the three-point line, you get teed. And that tee brings a technical foul. It was a two-point game at that point. But it was it was one of the like, I mean, where we were angled, like he was running right at us. Like it was right on our angle. So I I I I mean, I know the broadcast like caught it and people have seen this like replays of it, but it was live. It was weird. Like he was running from the other bench directly at the angle with, we were like the Grant Williams play was, you know, 10 feet right in front of us or whatever. Right. And it was, I was just like, uh, it, it seemed to me in the moment, I'm like, all right, he crossed half court. All right. He's up by the three point line. Oh, he crossed. the three. <laughs> and then in my head, I'm like, well, he's obviously getting attacked here. You know, it, it, yeah, it was one tossed. It, it, not tossed. it, it I mean, seemed like he wanted so attack. Boring. It seemed like like that. That's I. I don't know. It was like it. I think it he legit lost his mind. Stupid, you yeah. would think in a in the normal course yeah. of you know competent refs, it was a it was a it was a stupid thing for him to do. Um, but the part that really graded me, you know, we did see it. By the way, I had the same feeling of unreality I had during the Rivers um, Obama fight. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What's going on? You know. <laughs> Uh, you know, like this isn't normal basketball. Or when you know, Pat the, co Bev the coach is, is is on the other team's front court, yeah, it was... yelling at people to call a timeout while the play is still happening. And then the part that gets me is John Krasinski immediately goes to Jace. We've got to have a pull report on this. And for some reason, J it was apparently Jace's night. I mean, I'm not involved in any of that shit. Thank God. But. uh I would love for you to be the pool reporter. <laughs> so Jace has to ask, you know, Brian Forbes, who is the crew chief, Brian Forbes or Forte. Forbes? Yeah. A Forte. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I don't um, know who Brian Forbes is, but I'm sure he's like a he's saxophonist. Forbes' his older brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he asks, um, why did you give Missoula a tea? And he said during live action, which is his way out theoretically, we didn't see him. <laughs> and what totally betrays that is once they finally did stop playing, it was a jump ball. Missoula stops moving toward the play and instead wheels to his left, which is where one of the refs is standing that he has moved in front of during this play and starts arguing with him about why didn't you let me call a timeout? I mean, that guy, if he didn't see him, uh, 
I don't know what to say. He could just look to his right and be like, all right, you're here. I guess this is a technical. I mean, like, even if he missed him, yeah. And even if he didn't see him because he was laser-focused looking over Missoula's shoulder at the play that was happening, he had to have seen a split second after the refs blew the whistle that this coach who was supposed to be on his own bench is suddenly in his face on the opposite end of the court. I mean, it defies logic that Missoula had not crossed the midpoint line yes. before they blew the whistle. So, anyway. That's before the jump have, ball. <laughs> That's all before the jump ball. Yeah, exactly. So, assuming you have Mike Conley or some other 85% shooter, shoot your tech, instead of a one-point game, a two-point game, it's now a one-point game. So, now you have the jump ball. Mm. And it's Rudy Gobert versus Grant Williams. Seven foot one inch Rudy Gobert against six foot six inch Grant Williams. He's not six six either. Like <laughs> that dude's my height. Like, well, that's what he's listed at. Yeah. So, an impossible day, jump to win. In, uh, it, legitimately it's a impossible. Seven, it's a seven inch difference. The guy who threw the jump ball up was a weak ass throw anyway, but. <laughs> It didn't even get a chance to go. It's like seven feet that it would have gone up. And at about six and a half feet, just barely above his shoulder, uh, Grant Williams steals the tip. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Now, you could argue that Al Horford also was on the move. and That, that is illegal. That uh, That's what I saw live. And I'm like, yeah. Al Horford moved to Jaden McDaniel's right side where clearly Rudy Gobert was planning to tap it. He had his left hand right. up, which means he's tapping right. it to the right. And right. and Al Horford saw that smart. Like you want, I mean, players do that all the time. Where right. once once it's the ball's up, you run over there to get it. Al if Horford you time the before. jump. Yes, yeah. if you time the jump, but he didn't time the jump. I put it in stop action, mm-hmm. and uh, the ref the ball had not left the ref's hands when Gobert was behind Jaden McDaniels. Yeah. And, you know, which is also against the rules. But I took the easy one, which is that it has to be at its apex or at its highest point. Well, that never, that almost never happens. You know, it's like uh, the yellow light on the road. You know, I mean, people don't s- slow down or stop at the yellow light anymore for that, or for the red light, for that matter. I mean, they're bending the rules. That rule gets bent. But this is the equivalent of, you know, uh, going through a red light after 10 seconds after it's been red. This was such a easy show that the guy stole the tip and had to steal the tip because he wouldn't have won the tip anyway. Boston got the ball. The rule states that if you try to steal the tip, the possession is awarded to the opponent out of bounds, which meant if Conley or whoever would have shot and made the tech that should have been called on Missoula, they would have had the ball down one, down one with um, still like uh, it was like three point seven. I think it was over three. Yeah. Okay. Well, in any case, instead, it's a two point lead, and Boston got the tip. However you want to call it, it's they stole the tip, and uh, Kyle Anderson had to foul Tatum. Yeah, Tatum makes two shots, 
And suddenly with three seconds left, it's a four-point game. Well, you know, I mean, slow-mo had already gone through gyrations. You know, he jumped up and down, clapped, held his hands. You know, he had the screen face on for much of the game. And so, you know, I mean, there was a lot of histrionics going from him. But I think Ant walked up and in his normal, you know, laconic way, just basically said, you guys cost us the game tonight. You know, he used something. he used the cheat word is what I heard. Oh, he did? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, Which at that point, the, the game's done. But that yeah. that's why he got ejected is what I'd heard. Okay. Well, anyway, bottom line, technical on Ant ejection, technical on slow-mo, his second tech of the game. So, therefore, ejection. And more importantly, two more foul shots for Boston. So all this happens. It's a four-point game. If the refs had just swallowed their whistles and let the Wolves futilely try to score, um, there was a good chance, even if the Wolves missed the shot, it would be a four-point game. But with two attacks, if they had made both of them, it would have been a six-point game. The line was five and a half at the beginning of the day and five, I think, at game time. And, you know, I mean, if the refs don't want you to think that they're cheating, they need to do a better job of not stepping in every single avenue that indicates that they might be. Right. It's... I, I I don't think personally. I mean, obviously, there's and everyone though you know they got the Tim Donahue documentary out now. No, I would offer incompetence. Yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah. that's what I got. and I, I had a couple people that work for other teams like text me and specifically name one of the refs that they're like he's been terrible all season. I think it was I think it was a terrible group. I think they lost control of the game early and they tried to overcorrect for that. That is a mistake, as yep. you know. You all laid out there. But the, the most egregious thing was the stolen jump ball, right? And so I'm, this right, morning, I'm si- that's a possession. Exactly. So I'm, I'm sitting down to, to rewatch the game, and there's the, the starting jump ball of the game, Rudy Gobert versus Al Horford. And Al Horford tries to steal the jump. It's the same thing. He literally tried to do the same shit. And, and I'm like, I kind of like, I got to laughed at it. And I'm like, oh, that's funny because this is how the game ended. And I'm going <laughs> through the game, and there's another jump ball in like the third quarter, and it's Nas Reed and Blake Griffin. Like no knee cartilage, Blake Griffin, and it in the third quarter, and Blake Griffin steals the jump. It's the same thing. I mean, like I I tweeted this out. Like, go if you're listening to this, go to my Twitter feed. It's somewhere in there in the the top of them. I tweet out the video of all three jump balls. It is, and I don't even like this. Isn't even like a terrible strategy, though. It's illegal uh, for Boston. They don't have tall players or real jumpers for their centers when Robert Williams. Williams, Right. So it's like. They're like, well, what's the might as well try and steal it because what's the worst case? <laughs> you know, like they're probably right. not going to call us for a technical. Especially on a, you know, on a jump ball, the right. possession just goes to the other team. I, I know. You're going to lose it anyway, so there's no real penalty. Uh, so that that was like pattern of but behavior. This time there was a penalty. This time with two and a half seconds or three and a half seconds, whatever it was, left in the game, and your team is only up two. Stealing the tip and getting caught at it gives the other team a chance to tie or win. And it would have been an even better chance to tie or win if Joe Mazzula had been given a free pass to wander 70 feet away from his bench and try to call timeout in the middle of the action. 
Uh, I don't mean to laugh. It, it just, it was legitimately ridiculous. I mean, you've seen hundreds of more games at Target Center than I have, but I've seen a lot of them and I don't remember. That's the worst I've seen. Yeah. It, I mean, it, that's why I've never written about the refs. I, I just think it's bad for me. It makes you feel like a sore loser. Not that I'm rooting for win or lose on any team. The team I cover, I have more information about and uh, more invested in, literally more invested in by the time I've spent watching them. But I never want to regard myself as somebody who uh, would be so biased that I wouldn't understand. Right. You know, in fact, I tweeted out about 10 minutes before all this shit happened at the end that Boston is doing a better job. The Celtics players are doing a better job of handling the yeah. terrible calls being meted out by the officials than the Wolves players were. They were keeping their cool better. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I want to make it a point. I, I don't think writing extensively about the refs is a good look for almost any writer. But today, I mean, one of the reasons that we're potting so late is because I spent about two hours <laughs> trying to write about what I was going to write about anyway, which is Rudy Gobert, and just thinking about that play. And I'm thinking, if I'm just going to sit here in the morning, literally like at the time it was like two or three in the morning, so maybe five hours after the game ended, uh, if I'm going to write about the Wolves and I'm not going to mention watching the other team's coach wander onto the court, stolen tips, and getting ejected, which puts him another step closer to suspension. I mean, all of this stuff. Then I'm not being a proper chronicler of the team. Right. So after about an hour or two of futzing around, I finally dove in on it. Well, herein lies the end of our ref discussion with the <laughs> asterisks of maybe we'll talk about how the team leads the league in technicals flagrants and ejections uh this season that that that's a that's a more macro uh issue with this team that is more so their fault than i think what happened last night which was yeah, they, oh, were, without a doubt. they were aggrieved so let's grab our first break and then i do want to talk about rudy gobert i'm uh, i'm glad you wrote about him so back with brit in a minute Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. If you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all, this one is for you. It's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it, if you don't look good, you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care and use Land and Lore. Your partner will thank you. And we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20CAVEMAN at checkout on Amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer. And extra credit if you leave a review. That's 20CAVEMAN for 20% off land and lore at Amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with land and lore today. Your face and your partner will thank you for it. Today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, and Falling Knife is the brewery in Minneapolis showing every Wolves game on their TVs and projection screens with the sound on. So this weekend, if you're looking for a place to watch the Wolves play the Bulls on Friday or the Raptors on Saturday, head over to Falling Knife in Northeast Minneapolis, and also keep April 6th marked on your calendars for a live show with myself, 
Britt Robson and Kyle Tige, who you hear all the time on the pod, uh, because on the 6th, Britt, Kyle, and I will be at Falling Knife. We'll get there at about 6 p.m. to hang out, have some beers before the three of us do a live show at 7 p.m. I don't think the three of us have ever done uh, a show all together, so that will be fun. We'll also hang out afterward for a while to chat, answer some questions if you have them. Again, that's April 6th at Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. And go watch the Wolves games there this weekend with other Wolves fans. That's Falling Knife Brewing Company, Northeast Minneapolis. All right, we're back with Britt Robson. Uh, Britt, I am glad you you wrote about Rudy Gobert. He has been, for me, a real point of intrigue here over the past month. Uh, obviously, post, uh, post-Elo for Conley Trade, he was going to be an area of focus with this team and how well he did fit with Conley in comparison to D'Lo. That was going to be a thing no matter what. Uh, but I, I think even independent of the Conley angle of this, which is a big part of it, I've been impressed, intrigued, and frankly, significantly more optimistic about the degree to which Rudy could potentially be a problem for this team come you know, come play in playoff time down the road, getting quote unquote played off the floor, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't pop his stats in this game, 15 points, six rebounds, critically missed some bad, bad free throws, which he's been doing sure. uh, recently, but stats aside, I test, I thought that was one of Rudy's best games I've seen this season. And a lot of that had to do with the defensive side of the floor as well. Defended in isolation numerous times against Jason Tatum, more than held his own. Right before that crazy jump ball play, had a great isolation defensive he did. performance. Forced to miss. Yeah, I mean, it's... Tatum, Tatum did everything in his little playbook. I mean, you know, the feints, the whatever. I mean, and Gobert, who, you know, you know Gobert just by watching him operate in the paint sometimes, he can't help but be a mechanical player. Yeah. And that's what made his stop, his positional stop on Tatum even more impressive is he has what amounts to when it comes to relative to the athletic coordination of most players in the NBA, he has a physical handicap. Mm. He is not as smooth. He is not as coordinated and functional in that out in space need to react, unreact, get ready. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I really do think that um, the, the the fact that he is not, I mean, when, when we saw, I think Dallas might have been the first game. It might have been, maybe there was a Utah game where he played up once. But there was a period of time where um, it was a rare thing to see Gobert uh, out in space. And and you thought he probably can't do it very well, um, and he's doing it a lot more. And by the team stats, he's not. You know, I mean, the team is defensive rating is not high with Gobert out there, but there is something about the way they play, a flow and a style. Um, and I say it in the column. I mean, I, everybody knows who listens to me or reads me that I'm a huge proponent of the fly around aggressive style that uh, was left over from last year, minted last year, was the reason they, they got where they got last year and overachieved. They don't have as much 
personnel for it now because they traded most of those guys for Gobert, who was ill-suited for it. But they still have some very key players. I would say Ant McDaniels are two of them, although McDaniels has is good enough that he can do the other way too. But and Torian Prince is his way, J Mac is his yeah, way, Nas. Nas is his way. <laughs> I mean, you really do need to blend a foundational, deliberate game as typified by Gobert, Slow Mo, Conley. Uh, with this fly-around aggression. And the Wolves have gone in on that. They are recognizing this, which I think is very important. And I think that what's even more important is that Gobert is risking... I mean, Gobert in the... He would not have been late on Jason Tatum. You know, I mean, somebody tweeted out after Tatum's dunk on the flagrant ho-hum another day, Gobert gets posterized or something. Well, you know. Uh, He's guarding Al Horford in the corner on that play. Yeah, Exactly. So he is risking personal embarrassment. Not that, you know, that's a, a big deal, except if you're playing out there, it is kind of a big deal, you know. Mm. Uh, and he is also going way outside his comfort zone. He spent nine years with the same franchise, uh, I quoted extensively your conversation after the the game last night with Mike Conley. Let me just play talking. that. Let, let's. Okay. Uh, I I did clip that. So great. I yeah. I asked Mike about defending against five out with Rudy Gobert on your team, and I don't know who on <laughs> who on this roster would know that better than he does. So here's me and exactly. Mike. Mike, you for for years in, in Utah, a spread offensive look that five out, mm-hmm. kind of like Boston does showed tonight has was problematic for you guys situationally mm-hmm. how have you in your brief time here seen how this team attacks uh, a spread look from a defensive standpoint um you talking about when we're on offense or yeah, oh defensively i'm sorry yeah, yeah. um yeah so we're here we do a little bit more of just uh our normal team shell so we're not trying to necessarily always keep rudy at the rim in utah we we were doing schemes and things to try to keep him as you know underneath the basket as much as possible but it made it tougher longer you know uh closeouts and things like that for us and and now we're we're having rudy he's basically a a guard at some point so he ends up at the nail he ends up top of the key ends up guarding a guard at the top you know like so we're we're just um, basically sticking to our our principles of you know they be, be baseline the low man has to be there and then we'll kind of X out from there. I thought that was pretty interesting, Britt. I mean, that is... Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, mean, exactly I want to hear what you say answer. first. Yeah. Huh? I want to hear what your thoughts in response to how that can or can't functionally work first, because I have some too. I think it's very difficult. I mean, first of all, what makes it difficult is that you're taking away an elite skill from Gobert. Gobert is... I think he slipped a little this year, quite frankly, and I don't know why. Maybe age, it maybe adjustments to a new team, new franchise, new system. I mean, come on. But the he, main he, thing is the latter. The yeah. main thing is the latter. It is yeah. the adjustments to a new team. I'm not saying he hasn't fallen off right. A, right. a little bit, but the main thing is is right. an adjustment. Bottom line, he's still top ten at the worst in terms of rim protection among players in the NBA. Taking that guy out of that scheme uh, on a number of plays when you could jigger it so that he would be in there um, is a cost, is an opportunity cost. 
what you get out of that is guys, your teammates playing in a way that they're more comfortable playing, that gets them engaged and gets them playing as a team more than they are. I am a believer in the fact that it improves the Wolves' offense when they are flying around on defense because they are more engaged. Uh, most of their key personnel are like that. Um, and so I think it is a net good thing. Rudy Gobert, since they've been doing a lot more of this, you know, some of it is the opponents they're playing, some of it is just that they're getting more used to it. But he's doing it more in March probably than any other month. The Wolves with Gobert on the floor um, have their worst defense with Gobert on the floor than any other month. It's been six games in March. Um, but uh, their best offense by a mile. And by the way, their second best net rating with Gobert on the floor. Um, so if you look at things organically, if you look at the way the team is playing, when Gobert's on the floor versus the way he is, if you if you look at the glass as uh, you know half empty instead of half full, then there is reason to say that glass is half empty. You used to have a full glass, Rudy Gobert under the under the net, but uh, but you can't that. do that. It's not an option against a five out look, and that that's what the specifics of there, there are multiple conversations here about. Typically, we talk about enabling the fly around mentality about playing aggressive in coverage, right? Putting two on the ball, the high yeah. wall concept. This, this, what they are doing specifically against a five out look, which isn't a heavy pick and roll. That's more split actions, right. wide pin downs, that sort of stuff. This has nothing to do with a pick and roll coverage. This, this is about using a fly around mentality against a five out look by using Rudy in a shell, meaning he is the same as anyone else is in that. And that right. is inspiring fly around mentality of the group because Rudy's not back at the rim. Now, the opportunity cost is that he isn't back at the rim where he provides his most value. But we know about as well as we can know that trying to do that, trying to keep Rudy underneath the rim against a spread offense, five out offense, is a zero sum game. There has been, particularly at the at the highest level, it was never if they would have done the same things they did in Utah and brought them here, we know pretty well that has a glass ceiling on it. Now, do we yes. know that this would be better, will be better, particularly in a, in a playoffs or th that type of setting? No, we do not know that. But I don't think we have necessarily a ceiling on it. And, and I think we have some evidence specifically from that last game where that's how Boston plays. We have a handful of possessions of, of Gobert switched on to Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, a bunch of guys and him holding his own. So I'm 100% with the idea of using Rudy in this way when it is a five-out offense. I also think you don't need to play up in coverage with him and pick-and-roll coverage to inspire a fly-around mentality because I don't think the opportunity cost is there. You are taking Rudy out of the rim position so as to enable the other players in a pick and roll coverage. I just don't think that's necessary. I think you can still play drop with Rudy and maybe switch four around him. So you get a little bit more of that fly around mentality. But I think this is important to note that these are two different things, pick and roll coverage versus playing against an offense where all five players are 
stationed on the perimeter, which is what could Rudy and the Jazz in the playoffs. Yes. Anyways. Yes. Continue. (laughs) Well, I don't know what much more is to say. I mean, I do think... Well, are you with me in the idea that this hints at the possibility of something more than what ruled Utah out of the playoffs the past few seasons? Yes. And I also think that uh, what even more important in my book is that if you are going to reconcile players who are coming at the game very, very differently, you are going to want to have an example of a trusted veteran being outside his comfort zone and doing things that are better than people would think he is, but at the same time, not as perhaps comfortable as he is. And I think what that shows somebody like Ant is when I need to go the other way, when it's not fly around, when it's pass, pass, swing, swing, and you know we are basically surgically trying to get a good shot in a half-court offense, because that also is the way the playoffs operate, um, that Ant may be more liable to go that way, knowing that, hey, I've got teammates that are, you know, sacrificing on my end, because Ant doesn't want to stay with his man all the time. Ant wants to fly around. That He's never made any secret of that, you know. Um, and that was one of the things that Ant and D'Lo got called out for consistently again i um, don't want to confuse, by the coach by the coach yeah, yeah by the coach and i also don't want to confuse uh five out with uh drop versus uh high, high wall but when they were playing drop in pick and roll coverage because it wasn't five out and delo and ant were entrusted with staying with their man a lot more than you have to in high wall mm. uh that was basically a source of friction uh, between D'Lo and Ant and Rudy. Why do we have to be so assiduous? And the coach. The coach is and the it. one who's choosing that. Like. Yeah, and the coach is the one staunchly defending Gobert. Mm. And so you have this dynamic. Well, now, you know, they quote unquote have their way. Again, this time it's five out and you almost it's an easier decision because we have seen that the opportunity cost um, isn't necessarily the opportunity cost is also a wide open three if Gobert doesn't come out. So what, you know, it, it pick your poison, whether or not you want to not be around the rim or whether or not you not want to be around the three point line. It's easier to make that fly around decision on a five out if Gobert is up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he isn't up to it, then you do face the very difficult proposition that he gets played off the floor, as happened against the Mavs at a couple but other times. Also, a big factor in why he got played off the floor. Honestly, the bigger yeah, factor. Right. Well, no, no, I, is the offensive side of the floor, and Rudy yeah. getting exposed by trying to stay under the rim against a five-out offense that exposed him defensively. You know, closing out to Terrence Mann in the corner, which is clearly what Mike is referencing in in that clip there but the bigger thing was Rudy's inability 
to go take advantage of Terrence Mann in the post on the other side of the floor. And why I am, I would say, significantly more optimistic about the Wolves playing a team with a five-out offense in the play-in or the playoffs is that I feel significantly better about Rudy Gobert's ability to punish a Terrence Mann or a Jason Tatum was his primary, is the guy primary matched up on him last night, or Derek White, whatever. Like, Rudy has grown in his ability to do that through a lot of trials and tribulations that had me pulling out my hair at the beginning of the year of like, what the hell is going on trying to unlock Rudy Gobert? It has gotten better. It has gotten better. I thought the single best play of Rudy's, probably his career, I don't know, I didn't watch all the jazz, but <laughs> in Minnesota, the single best play of his career against a small in the post was the play he got called for the taunting foul. He got raked on the so arm. It was on a knocked double out team. of his hands, right? He, yes, right. he grabbed he it. go get it back, right. When it power dribbled into Jalen Brown through him, not that small of a guy, but a small, right. and went and dunked through it. Like, Rudy is better at this now. It Now, I'm not saying uh, they're, I don't, can't think off the top of my head of the schedule when they're going to see this again. They will see it again, and it will situationally be problematic. He won't be able, like against Dallas, that was the worst game when he was completely unable to do anything with Frank Nilakino or Reggie Bullock uh, in, in those situations. That'll probably happen again, though I think a big factor in that when the times it hasn't worked this season is he's been surrounded by Kyle Anderson, team, a player teams don't respect to shoot there, Jordan McLaughlin, not, not surrounded by shooters. If I have a lot of belief in Rudy Gobert in a one-on-one situation against a 6'6 dude on the block, if there's four shooters surrounding him there, because I've seen him be better at it, and I've seen Rudy grow, and we were talking about this last night, in his ability to like, all right, I don't know, I messed up my pivot foot here, I know I got a little guy on me, but I gotta kick it back out to, right. to Torian Prince, who has a lightly contested or open three there. Like Rudy, to me, has gotten so much better at that, and that is so big in the grand scheme of being able to overcome his biggest wart. That is his biggest wart, and it was coming into the year, and I, I, it's grown. It's grown to me for sure. And I, I, I want to stress that I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are meeting him halfway, and he is meeting them halfway. I mean, we don't have the loggerheads that we were seeing. I think both sides Who's were perplexed. What, what does that mean? When something is loggerheads, that means end-to-end. Uh, -end. Logs are end-to-end. -end. Their heads oh, are um, of course. running together rather than... It's a, it's a logging term. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got to <laughs> read up on my logging. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes a great notion, Ken Kesey. A great book. But anyway... Uh, it's the, by Bryn Forbes' brother. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I think that you have a situation where you have simpatico guys like Conley and uh, Slomo. You also have uh, guys that like Ant and McDaniel's. McDaniel's probably more than anybody lately is is a source for optimism. If I hadn't written about McDaniels uh, very recently, I probably would have written about him instead of Gobert just because uh, he's scoring now. I mean, when he had Trey Young on him in the beginning of the Atlanta game, he, that he wiped great. that thing clean. Uh, he is finding Gobert. Uh, it isn't 
the cat approach of I'm going to give four dimes to Rudy Gobert in the first quarter. God damn it. It's like, uh, it's find him in the flow. It's finding him in the flow. He sees Gobert and gives it to him in the flow. Exactly. Which by the way, Ant did last night in a very crucial time, uh, that lob when, but Gobert, the dunker spot too. Remember how they're going baseline. Exactly. The dunker spot. And so, we are seeing things. Chris Finch called it an identity, and I'm not going to go that far uh, because I don't think that we have enough sustainability. First of all, it all you know, you basically get out the big eraser when Cat comes and erase a lot of the things that are happening now. You know, because he's going to bring his own stuff to the table, and that's going to impact everything else that happens. Uh, but. The point is, there's been a tremendous amount of trial and error this season, and it has not been pretty. Uh, this team was Vegas had about forty nine and a half wins. That's already mathematically impossible. Uh, you have a situation where they have underachieved. One of the reasons they have underachieved, in my opinion even more than Cat's injury or anything else, is that the fit of Gobert with the existing core and then eventually the new guys coming in was the difficulty of making that transition, I believe, was underestimated. I don't think that people who said, well, we thought it was going to take two-thirds of a season anyway. Um, I don't believe that. Uh, I heard him say 20 to 25 games at one point. And when that went by, it was more like, you know, all this and so on and so forth. And also, if you saw Cat and Gobert on the floor, you know, there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, And I'm not utterly convinced that they will get that synergy, that ceiling, um, 70 games into the season, even with Cat missing 50 of them, I will say that this was a much bigger gamble than what it first appeared. Sure. Uh, and so the fact that people are putting their shoulder to the wheel to make this gamble work against higher odds is the silver lining in what's happening. And one of the reasons why I was you know, really positive toward Gobert uh, because I really do think that he, it isn't his fault that a team acquired him uh, after he spent nine years being the talisman of his franchise, being the guy who everything revolves around. And suddenly he goes to a team where well, it's certainly not his fault that they traded five first round picks for him either. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and and it also isn't his fault that he makes $40 million, you know, like, right. And I, again, I, I think that for Sean Bix, of course, is way, way too much to have paid for that. I think that's playing out. And I think you can argue that Rudy Gobert is not a $40 million player right now. E- even, right. I, I, I don't know. I, I would, I mean, it's kind of the, the cost of doing business for that type of player, maybe, but like, all of us would have taken the $40 million a year contract when offered, you know, to, to oh, be able yeah, to play. Right. And then you have no control over what that is. And it's just like, he doesn't need 
those two more gray clouds hanging over him because he's already so unesthetically pleasing to watch, specifically right. on offense, that it it just it puts this massive weight on him. It, it's just, and and I don't know what to do about that. I mean, you just kind of have to separate it and it be it is what it is. But I just don't that that stuff seems to be applied to him significantly more than the positives that that he does bring are like I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this last 10 minutes and more so at me who's giving him a lot of credit here rolling their eyes at all of this and you go he's not a hooper he can't make these free throws that looks disgusting when he catches it in the paint and it's like I don't know man he's on your team like he's on the team and he's right. not terrible he isn't he just isn't I I, I mean he, he isn't terrible and he's growing. It was a bad trade. It's maybe a bad contract. He's still on the team. And this is, you need to make the best out of that or not watch the team. Get a new team. I mean, those are the options there. I, I just, I don't know. I, I've been, I've been surprised to like not see, hear, read, fan, finger to the wind, you know, any sort of growth in his perception when I personally, subjectively am seeing fairly substantial growth in his Well, case. and that's the point. I mean, it's fine and good to make conclusions, as I've just done, about was it, you know, I think it's a much riskier trade than we realized. But what I spent the column doing after I ranted at the refs was basically pointing out that Gobert is putting his oar in here. I mean, uh, another thing that came out in the column was about a month into the season, I think it was maybe early December or so, mm-hmm. I was in the locker room and I I, I said, uh, how does, you know, this compare, you know, you coming to this team, how how much harder has it been for you or something like that? And like at other point, points in your, yeah, I was there, it was, yeah. you framed and, it like, I, is this, have there, uh, have there been other hard things you've had to grow through? Exactly. And what he said was, well, yeah, my rookie year, when I came over from France and I didn't know anybody, uh, that was tough. But this is tougher. And I mean, so I'm thinking about something. He was 21 years old. He's from France, came over here. Utah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In Utah. And so. And I realized, I mean, part of it is. It again wasn't his fault. He was spoiled in Utah. He was the guy. If Rudy wanted to play defense a certain way, Quinn Snyder figured out mm. how to get the other four guys to play defense that way because Rudy was so good at what he did that it made sense. And then Quinn Snyder saw Rudy was great at finishing the pick and roll, saw the putbacks, saw it. And so when Snyder's smart coach had nine years as coach Gobert 10 times as many games as Chris Finch has coached him and figured him out. Uh, That's what Gobert had the benefit of a very good coach maximizing all the aspects of his game that he was evolving into from the age of 21 to the age of 30. And so he comes to another franchise they pay the world for him, and he immediately is teamed up with, 
you know, a guy who, through no fault of Gobert's, plays the same position he does. And that guy has to move to a place where defensively he is way out of his depth. And Gobert has to deal with that. Gobert has to deal with D'Lo not feeding him on the pick and roll the way he's used to being fed on the pick and roll. He's got to deal with people complaining about the fact that Cat and Gobert can't get back in transition, so they're getting waxed in transition. Uh, all of a sudden, he's not the face of the franchise. He's the scapegoat of the franchise. Yep. And, and, and that's a huge change. And so what we have instead, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm making the argument. Everybody knows that I've ripped Gobert a fair share this year when he, I think he's deserved it. But I also have a great deal of respect for somebody who does not let a negative status quo get unworked upon. He is trying to figure out how he can be a better player in situations where the personnel dictates that he move out of his comfort zone. And he is doing that. And as you just pointed out, he's doing it better than most people would have given him credit for. And consequently, his team has a brighter future than they did two months ago. Boom. I, I think that, I think that summarizes it really well. And if, and when I find myself like meandering down the, how disastrous is this thing? I, Often and brought back to the fact the Wolves are seventh in defense this season. Seventh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's Rudy, you know, and and there are a lot of warts too. There's a lot of issues. Quite if I'm being honest, I don't think issues that they probably will never figure out and that this very well could end up being quote unquote doomed. But um I think there's also signs that make that dooming. <laughs> Uh, a little bit less likely, and, and I found them. I found them fun to track. But I got to grab uh, one more break here. But we'll come sure. back for for one final segment. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, back with Britt Robinson again. Britt, one thing that's been catching my eye, and this is kind of Rudy adjacent as we were just talking about him, uh, is this jarring distinction between the the first unit and the second unit. And it's something I noticed really early on after the trade was with, as the starters would come out of the game, you know, you get Kyle Anderson out of there, you get, you get Jaden out of there, depending on if he picked up his, how quickly he picked up his first two fouls. And then Rudy and Conley would come out and it would be, you know, like the end of the quarter and into the beginning of the second quarter. The same thing goes for the second half. You know, you have this about seven and a half minute window of, the bench with Ant or the bench kind of with Ant at the end of the first quarter, end of the third quarter, right. or the bench with Kyle or Jaden before bench players and, and them. And it's been a really, to me, a really jarring change, micro change that I think is is kind of telling because that was the four bench guys in D'Lo before. That was, that was D'Lo's time. And they've been kind of fumbling around trying to re- find an identity there uh, as Conley is not just playing with that group like D'Lo did. Right. It's been a lot of Kyle with that group. It's been a lot of Jaden and it's been a lot of eyesores. You know, there's been a couple times where it's good. I thought last night was a really good encapsulation of that. The The bench unit, whenever any of the bench players were on the floor in the first half, the Wolves lost those minutes. Those, I think it was 10 minutes by 10 points. And when all five starters were on the floor for 14 minutes, they won that. They won those minutes by nine. Because that's how you go into halftime down one. And then it flipped in the second half. And the and whenever a bench player was on the floor, it was better. And it's just been this massive up and down sort of thing. And part of it, the primary thing, is the fact that Delo's not into that group anymore, and you're needing to find someone else to play with them. But also. I think the bigger thing is this jarring change of your center and how the center is used from Rudy to Nas. I mean, you are going from complete different sides of the spectrum of the style you play. We talk about all the time defensively, how Nas is always up in coverage uh, or switching, but offensively it's, it's even, it's even more stark in in the change. I mean, Nas was kind of like the Wolves offense in the second half. They're like, Small ball against our center? Sure, like Nas Cook, and he did. I think he had like 13 second-half points in the game. And um, I've just – I wonder if you can actually go back and forth that much. Like, 
within your identity, right? Like, can you change right. that much from your first unit center to your second unit center? Utah didn't do that. They had Hassan right. Whiteside as their, their backup center. And, and this is important, I think, on a micro scale of now in the interim time with Cat, but also in figuring out which bench players you can rely on. And that's mm-hmm. going to be important. Like, I remember that's something I really buried in before the Memphis playoff series. And it was like, man, they got nothing from Nas Reed in that playoff series. They got nothing, nothing. from Torian Prince in that, in that, in that playoff series. And you need, like, yes, your rotations cut down more and you'll play Ant more, you'll play Rudy more, all that. But you need a couple other guys that you can go to off the bench. And those guys have just been thrown around in so many different roles and places that I don't know who to rely on uh, in that group. And, and I think that's a product of this wild sort of juxtaposition of going from Rudy at center to Nas at center, or once Cat gets back, Rudy at center to Cat at center. I think that's the replacement there. And obviously Cat's yep. a lot better than Nas, but it's still that careening from a traditional center in Rudy to, you know, the more modern popping big of, of Cat versus Rudy. What is that rectifiable? Like, can they make that work or how complicated do you think that is to big picture kind of being able to go both ways with that at the five? Well, I think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to come down on some places that I wouldn't think of myself as coming down. But uh, first of all, I think Jalen Noel being out hurts. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. I mean, I, I will tell you that, uh, and, and that, that explain why explain why yeah because people are uh, like what the i mean one of the things that watching chris finch teams has taught me is that the kobe assist is a real thing i mean if you have somebody who everybody in the building knows is going to the hoop come hell or high water three or four players are there to to meet him yep and noel is good enough that a decent amount of those go in, but even if they don't go in, people who trail him pick up the debris, and it's yeah. garbage time money uh, all the time. And Torian Prince is like king of garbage time money, so he doesn't get that stuff. And Nas and Prince love, they are two of the fastest-paced players. J-Mac is the fastest-paced player. So you have people on their horses just flying around. And you heard my thing about, I I think a fly-around mentality at one side of the floor creates a fly-around mentality at the other side. You don't whip around like crazy when you have the ball and then suddenly stand around when you don't, or vice versa. You get into a rhythm and a groove, especially if you're a bench player that knows they're getting maybe 18 minutes tops so you press it. And so the fact that J-Mac was hurt and had trouble coming back from his calf injury, I think hurt the bench. The fact that Nas is such a confidence-oriented player, and when he has a couple of things go wrong, especially if it's a call he doesn't think he deserves, he goes into the tank sometimes, and that hurts. Gotta shake that, man. And I think that uh, Torian Prince, for whatever reason, has been streaky this season uh, when he came back and you could just tell that he had been spending like the previous two weeks figuring out exactly what he could do when he came back. And he was brilliant. 
And now he's more back into his old rhythm. I mean, you know, he's not, he's, he's, he's thinking of it less as like opening night and more as, all right, this is my 45th performance out of 64, you know, and there isn't that, he's still flying around, but there isn't that purpose to him that he had when he was fresh coming back. I mean, he but do, don't opposite. you think that's partly because, or I would say, I feel like I've seen that best version of Torian when the bench group is the same sort of night to night and the bench group has an identity. It did at right, this time right. last year or, you know, the beginning right. of 2022, like January, February, March. That's why it was awesome. Like, that's why Torian was awesome yep. was he kind of needs to know what that role is. And that has changed because Delo's not out there. That's changed because now it's Nikhil Alexander Walker instead of Austin Rivers. And Nikhil is a much higher usage player. It, it's just the the flow of the bench and what the rotation is and the identity of that has has changed a lot. And it is inherently a massive change from Rudy, from a Rudy unit out there. Right, right. That is true. I also think that Ant has, uh, if, if <laughs> it's crazy to say, but Noel and Ant are a wonderful combination. They love to pass to each other. And if you're a player that Anthony Edwards loves to pass to, you have been blessed. Mm. Not everybody on the team has that cachet. And for whatever reason, Jalen Noel has it. And part of it is that Ant knows that Noel passes to nobody practically but Ant. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like their little privilege. They give each other, and they know that they rock. I mean, it's kind of like uh, if you have a certain style of music that you play, it's like within maybe heavy metal or jazz or, or genre, but the subgenre is right there, and not everybody can play that style, and suddenly you're on the bandstand and somebody's playing that style, and you know exactly what that's like. You're you're a good rhythm guitarist as well as a lead guitarist because you know what the lead guitar player is doing. And so that's what Ant and Jalen have going. And then when Torian Prince is out there with, with Nas and J-Mac and those guys are pressing the metal, then it's a it's a fest. You know, it's it's the fly around festival that I used to call the Iowa Ants lineup that is so much fun to watch when they're on. And it'd be great now, if you could just always play Ant with the, that second unit as the as the fifth piece there. It'd be fine. But Ant is already playing. Like, by the time those guys get on the floor, it's the last three minutes of Ant's 12-minute stretch there. And Ant is getting his points in because he figures, you know, all right, I don't have slow-mo and Connolly touches I'm going to contend with. You know, I mean, if I want to take the ball and do what I want with it, and especially if Jalen's not on the floor... You know, I'll just get some hoops or, you know, every now and then he'll do something. But I I see Ant seeing a star prerogative playing with the subs that he did not have before he emerged in January. Right. Uh, and so I think they miss Jalen Noel. I'll tell you right now, uh, you know, every you were right. Uh, I was a lot higher on Naw. Uh, because I like the idea of him. I like a six-six guy who is a you know, uh, you know, a, a guy that has a lot of utility in a lot of different ways. Um, 
I think Na is a little too thirsty to distinguish himself to be a really good guy in that fly around second unit right now because um it's fine if he's making shots it's just well and, and i'll be... tell you that he has not shot i think he shot maybe one contested three that i've seen when he shoots the three it's a catch and shoot wide open three mm-hmm. and the fact that he's suddenly not hitting them at all is a great source of concern. Yeah, it started I, I, 12 of 24. I remember that. Now I'm looking. Yeah, he's yeah. 15 of 41. So that's three of his last 17 threes. Yeah, and the, and those were killers against Brooklyn. I mean, he... he And against Boston in the first half. Yeah, I know. But not to, uh, you know, blast a guy who... No. Came in as like the ninth or tenth man as a promotion on this team. Yeah. But... but the bottom line is, if Nah hits two or three of those wide open threes that everybody was really happy to give him because he'd been so hot up to that point, that is a very different ball game. Now, I mean, that was that was an eyesore performance, and I agree that Boston was kind of the same way. Although by then, you your expectations were already down a little. You were thinking, "Oh no, Nah may be trying to jack one up again." But that's kind of what I'm talking right. about: is the second unit overall like. What can yeah. you rely on? And all you well, can rely I think you on can is rely Ant. on J-Mac. I think you can rely on J-Mac. I think that Chris Finch I, is right to say, yeah. I am going to ride this guy because, and I know all your caveats. I don't disagree with your caveats. Your caveats are that this guy will get left alone and he will be forced to prove he can shoot. And what worries me even more than that, I hate people who take that challenge, who say, all right, you're, what, you're daring me to shoot? I will show you and I will shoot. The Jarrett Culver. I want, <laughs> I want the people who pretend they're going to shoot, and especially if they're as good with the, off the handle and off the pass as J-Mac, don't make the obvious shot. See if you can use your other great subsidiary skills, your court vision, your sense of pace, or whatever, to get a shot for a more accurate shooter, you know? Um, and, and to be clear, I'm not saying don't play Jammer. And when I was saying, what can you rely well, I, on in the second unit? There are reliable things about Torian Prince. There are reliable things about Nasri. There are reliable things about J-Mac. I'm talking about what is a group that you can go to right. when, when four of your starters are on the bench, which is going to happen. And right. the only one is that I feel comfortable relying on is Ant and four bench players. They don't have anything else there. And I'm and I don't think Cat is you put him in that Nas spot. And I don't think that's I don't know. I mean I we'll see it. My my gut tells me that Ant with that second unit is and maybe Cat is in there at that time in the Nas spot is is the best case scenario. And a rotation tweak. I would like to see, though this is impossible when Cat comes in on a minute restriction, is you make Cat the long stretch. And Ant right. comes out early in the first quarter, early in the third quarter, and then comes back in to close the first quarter and the third quarter. So he's out there with that second unit. I That, that would be my ideal way to kind of finesse this so as to have a second unit identity. And again, people are like, what are you talking about with this? Like, it does matter. It will matter in the playoffs. You can't. Yes. We have ample examples of this with good teams around the league. The non-Jokic minutes, the non-Embiid minutes. Like those 
our massive source that will probably rule out Philly and or Denver from the championship this season. Like, and I know we're not talking about the Wolves in a championship sense, but I get, I don't know. I, I just think it's, I think it's important. And I think it's such a jarring difference from Nas to Rudy that it makes it a little bit more, makes it a little bit harder to, to find that identity. I, I asked Mike Conley about this. Right. There's a quick quote. I, I want to, oh, okay. I want to play this too. So this is, this is me asking Mike about the difference uh, with Nas versus Rudy. Yeah, um, because it's two different, two different games. You, you know, you got two different styles immediately. Once you go out, of, when Rudy goes out, the rim running kind of goes away, and you got to pick and pop big and guy who can post up and face up and do all that. So, um, you know, you have to be able to adjust to that. You have to be able to to make the best of that situation, and um, our guys just have to continue to work at it. And uh, I have all the confidence that you know we'll we'll figure it out. And, and that's that oddly it's <laughs> that last one. endorsement. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, when is the time to figure it I know, out? I know. I you know, know right, that, that, right. that's what I, I go to. And I think that's going to be a problem in fighting for playoff position here and then, or a play in game or a playoff series, uh, which is, I feel like this team is deep, but I don't feel like it's congruent. And, and uh, that, that is a very succinct truism. <clears throat> it's been one of my problems. Mm-hmm. With the trade, quite frankly, is that uh, the the easy synergies, not the hard synergies, which can be developed, but the easy synergies, like when you go, oh, Nas and J-Mac on the floor at the same time, that makes sense. Those guys, you know, play like they grew up together. And so you have those easy synergies, especially if they're coming from your bench unit, that's that's just a blessing. Totally. That's what made the Iowa ants cook, you know. So I agree. I, I think and and Connolly, <laughs> Connolly obviously, he's he's such a uh, sage diplomat. Um, he he gives you the context in such a uh, earnest and precise way, while at the same time you know exactly how he feels about that. Like you know. I don't know, man. Give me Rudy on the court next to you know. I I want to play with Rudy. I don't want to play with Nas, and he probably shouldn't. Can I know? give you another example of that? Yeah. Uh, Jay, Jace asked him about the the team leading the league in, in technical fouls, and this is just. The, I read uh, that. I did. Yeah, it, it's even funnier. Life, I think. Soccer was frustrated with the officiating tonight. This team has the most techs in the league this year. What is the key to maybe having those frustrations, but not allowing them to boil over, not allowing them to affect your play? Yeah, um, you know it's, it's it's tough to say. It's an emotional game, and uh, we've got a young team with emotional players, and um, everybody wants to win. They love the game, and uh, you know you just they can't all be me. You know, you, you, know, you can't all have zero text and <laughs> cool as a cucumber when it comes to all that. But um, no, yeah. <laughs> Uh, just to answer your question, I should have just been here earlier, and we wouldn't leave the league intact. How about that? He's an interesting character, Brett. I I like him. I well, I mean, he's smart, and I there are guys who uh, you can tell. I mean, there's if if you lined everybody up and said who has never gotten the tech in their career, Mike Conley would be the first guy you think of. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's just, you get the impression that Conley 
will never say so, but he is offended by silly breaks in protocol, right. you know? I mean, it's one thing if, you know, you have a good reason to go off the grid, but if you're going off the grid because you just want to want to give it a whirl, uh, you know, he would like to sit down and talk to you for a minute, you know? Uh, and so I do think that it has been really cool that he and Ant, who seem to be very opposites in that respect, although Ann has always been said to be coachable, and he is, but they I've seen those guys talk extensively after two games. I've been in the locker room all that much. Maybe about 40% of the time I've been in there, he and Ann have had a conversation that's lasted like five minutes between the two of them. And so that's uh, – if Ann is tapping Mike Conley – and Mike Conley doesn't seem like he's doing it out of uh, obligation. He seems like, oh, this is a guy that wants to listen to what I have to say. Uh, that's, you know, again. And that's not dissimilar to D'Lo. They had a similar relationship. Yeah, or with, they did. To, to the extent that we can see or I can see and understand in that sort of way, I think the difference is Mike Conley is more with the program here. And D'Lo didn't right. believe as much in in the program here of, of what what they were trying to. D'Lo believed there's better ways to win with the group that they had, and yes. I think Mike comes in knowing or being told this is the way we're going to play. Your job is to play this way, which is right. enabling this group, bridging that gap from Rudy to this whole Nas and everyone else chasm of incongruent styles of play. So. You know, to that end, it's not necessarily that Mike Conley is a better leader or a better, as an individual, voice in Ant's ear. Because I think D'Lo actually has played a big role in terms of, of leadership and growth for Ant through his first three years in the league. It's just that. different things that they're, that they're aiming at. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think Mike could help expedite Ant getting with the program. because Ant is not with the Rudy program, not out of spite or anything like right, that. Right, right. He doesn't know how to play with Rudy. It's been bad. Like right, right. as good as those two individually are. And, and I think Mike could help guide that. Yes. And I just as this is kind of a parenthetical aside, but I think Delo's in the right place right now. Yeah. I think it's a big market. It was where he was. He kind of got dinged on his way out. You know, the whole, you know, kind of, Swaggy thing, you know, <laughs> but it's like uh, he's got LeBron and AD on the one hand. He's and got his, his old boy. He's yeah. got his old boys, Bees and and Vando. Vando from the Wolves last year, uh, and he's got a place where LeBron, when he's on the court, will do most of the the playmaking. And D'Lo can be on or off the ball. Uh, I just feel like he's in a contract year. It wasn't going to end well here. He is in a high-profile situation where a lot of people around the nation watch him play when he plays now. And he's playing well. And it remains to be seen 
he may be coming one of those secondary leaders in the locker room. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, so it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Oh, I guess all I'm saying is I think D'Lo, the trade to L.A. was a favor to D'Lo. It worked out, I think, for the Wolves in terms of his future here was never high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly not after uh, the last year and a half. And so I think that he's got a shot at being part of the post-LeBron Lakers sure. uh in a in a really interesting way. So hats off to him. And I, I'll just wrap up the the Conley thing with saying, you know, we're we're complimenting him for what this team needs and involvement of Rudy, which has worked, a, a cooler head, um, a, a leader, a guidance counselor uh, to to right. Ant. He needs to play better. He needs to be more effective uh, with, with this group. I mean, there last night was one of a handful of games where, you know, he's two for seven from the field, seven points, get outscored when he's on the floor. You know, I mean, they're, they're two assists. I mean, there, there needs to be more from Mike Conley. And then Finch was hesitant to even bring him back in to close the end of the, that game. And I will note to my, my idea of, of closing games with Ant at the one, Jaden at the two, Kyle at the three, Cat at the four, and Rudy at the five. You know who Grant Williams got that offensive rebound over because he wasn't boxed out and, and it led to the jump ball kerfuffle? Yeah, it yeah, was Conley. it was Mike Conley not boxing him out and, and getting to that spot. Now, should Mike I mean credit to Grant Williams? He's might not be six six, but he's a load and he's right. a, a tough guy. I mean, he's PJ Tucker. And that's right? what he does, right? That's right. what he does. But that is a whole different arrangement. There is if Mike Conley is not on the floor and this that big lineup that I've suggested is out there, you know, that's Kyle Anderson or Jaden McDaniels or Anthony Edwards or maybe even Carl Anthony Towns on Grant Williams in that in that possession there too. So Mike needs to be better, but he also doesn't necessarily have to be because I think you can pull him out of your top five. Uh-huh. And and I, replace I him think with that's Kyle an Anderson. interesting concept. And I think that obviously. He's there for the locker room and he's there for Gobert. He's fulfilled both of those things very well. What he hasn't done, and I've really noticed this, is that Ant is no longer the January playmaking Ant that we saw. And I don't blame Conley because any more than I blame Gobert when he came here. Conley came in to do a job, and unfortunately, one of the jobs that Conley does significantly encroaches upon Ant as playmaker. Uh, Conley is meant to make Rudy Gobert feel good about himself and to make sure that when Finch wants Kyle Anderson to run the show, that he finds a way to get slow-mo going so that slow-mo can run the show, just as slow-mo finds a way to get Ant going when Ant runs the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is this kind of, if Mike Connolly decides to have the ball and run the offense, nobody is going to say, hey, get the ball out of Mike Connolly's hands <laughs> because Mike Connolly is deferential by nature. He doesn't have to be told necessarily. But I do think you and I, are agreeing on this, and this is where we both disagree with Chris Finch. Chris Finch does not 
regard in, in the Tatum Paul George school of let's have him be the way he thought about Dio, for example, as a true combo guard mm. who can be off the ball, but also can be on the ball without any problems. Uh, Finch doesn't think that way about Ant. And it may be that he's waiting to give Ant, you know, that much more freedom because he knows that, you know, that he doesn't, you, you give Ant things and he's talented enough that you don't get those things back. Yeah. So I, I think he's probably doling it out. But I also think that if Conley gets an extension beyond next year, that's going to be a little bit of an issue in terms of the way Ant develops. Uh, and Unless you, know, I, you make a big point of the overall identity, not just the closing lineup, but the overall right. identity being those five guys with Ant at the one, Jaden at the two, Kyle at the three, Cat at the four, Rudy at the five. I think right. that's how you split the baby, like potentially. Now that's going to be hard to right. get to with rotations and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it, it's to me, it's got to be, it's got to be something you try and, and and see if it at first at least right. can be a closing. Well, we're we're late in the podcast, so I'm I'm yeah. not going to open up this yeah. can of worms too <laughs> wide, but I do want to push back a little and say that Gobert, Cat, slow mo front line is slow. I mean, yep. that is the thing I worry about, just as I worry about Cat individually at the four on defense, bracketed mm-hmm. by Gobert and Kyle. Um, Very fair point. You, you're going to need some fly around on that backcourt, boy. But anyway, uh, I, on the other hand, I do agree with you that that's a cool lineup. And, and Kyle that, can play some point, too. So Ant is the yeah, combo, I, not the point point. Exactly. And also the fact that Jade McDaniels, I think gets to gets to roam a little bit more in that group, you know, because he does have slow guys. He's got to compensate for. I like the idea of Jade McDaniels occasionally not being on ball. Yeah. Uh, because I think he can be a monster that way when, when, uh, when you set him free. And again, I'm sure Fitch doesn't want to do that too much because he's such a competent on ball right. defender, but uh, man, if he can be, if he can be guessing the lanes the way D'Lo and Ant guess the lanes, mm-hmm. that's going to be fun. It is. Well, let's uh, let's let's wrap it up there, Britt. Um, your column, that you, it's not out yet. You you sent it to me, and I think it'll be up probably. <laughs> yeah. on, uh, on, let's uh, see what happens. Yeah. Poor guy. My editor this time. I try to get him stuff by noon, and this time I think I got it to him by about two thirty. So, well, uh, hopefully it'll be up tomorrow, and. Uh, and a, a point, just a point for people who uh, listen or follow me on Twitter. Uh, my wife is going to have some surgery tomorrow morning. The uh, game on Saturday, Friday and Saturday, the Wolves are on the road both games. I won't be tweeting those games. I'll probably watch them on tape delay. Uh, at, at just I'll pick and choose my time, and, and that'll be a more efficient time. If you watch games that are DVR'd, you can watch them in an hour and a half yeah. rather than two and a half hours. And I may need that hour. So, uh, and I won't be going to the Atlanta game on the 22nd. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll continue to watch every game. And I don't know whether I'll write next week or not, but uh, I'm not going away, but I, I may be less, less. No, that's pervasive. a good point. Yeah. And think about you and, uh, and your wife through all that too. And that's uh, Robbie's awesome. And uh, I, I, that's good that you're taking 
you know, space to be able to do that and and enjoy it. You know, text me or whatever your your, your thoughts if you're if and when you're watching them. And we'll uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see if and when you know you do yeah, we'll come back on out. the pod, but it'll be yeah, we'll see how the surgery goes. He's basically getting a vertebrae uh, fused in the top of her back, and uh, long long story. Uh, probably not a uh, too concerning, but uh, it's always better afterwards than before. Yes. Yes. Well, think about you and I uh, appreciate you doing this and we'll, uh, I look forward to, well, I'd be weird sitting at a game, not next to you. That's, that's happened <laughs> very few times over the past five years. So, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll have you back on here as, uh, as soon as you're ready. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have you, maybe it'll be, Cat returned, and then there you go. Yeah, Cat and Brits returned at the same right, time. Right. I don't know. A couple of weeks, maybe. <laughs> uh, we we will see. Uh, Britt, I appreciate you doing it. Uh, everyone, you can check out that. Uh, I thought the the column was really well done. Uh, that that Britt did, you know, fusing the refs to Rudy Gobert uh, was uh, was a it was the story of the game, uh, in my opinion. So check that out over at MinPost. Obviously, you can follow Britt on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore uh, at Dane Moore MBA. I'm going to Chicago for the game uh, on. I'm going tomorrow morning. I'll be there uh, on Friday, so I'll be tweeting that. I'm not sure exactly how I'll handle podcasting uh, because there's another game right away on Saturday. So at the latest, I will be back with Chris Hine on on Monday morning to kind of wrap up the weekend before they play uh, the Knicks on a Monday evening. So stay tuned. Excuse me, we'll keep doing this thing, and um, and we'll be back with Britt soon. Until then, he's Britt, I'm Dane, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah.